welcome everybody to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me in this new year, 2024, is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. Happy New Year, man. How you doing? Happy New Year to you as well. I'm doing pretty well. Enjoying Michigan, although there's no snow, and that's always a bit of a disappointment. It's funny, I am not back in the DMV yet. I'm still out in California, just came down the mountain, did skiing for the first time. No one got hurt, no one's too sore, a lot of fun, but I'm unfamiliar. I'm in my nephew's bedroom, my mic- my microphone's not working, the headset, who knows, this is actually recording, but here we are. But AKP, I wanted to bring this up. This is officially the first episode for year two, year yeah. two of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. What do you think of that? I, I think it's pretty cool, and it's and we're getting pretty close to when we started talking about this, you know, a, a year anniversary of, of the formation of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. Yeah. All started as a, a sort of a joke on Twitter. I don't like to give too much credit to Phil Harris of the Jacks Rangers show, but I guess I'll give him partial credit for, for being the impetus for getting this going. So, Phil Harris, I guess, tip of the cap to you. Can't wait. So when Old Glory plays New England twice in 2024. But that's still a ways away, although we are coming close to the start of the 2024 MLR season. I believe training camps officially start, I want to say, on the 20th of January. But, oh, boy. Oh, wow, that late. Yeah. I thought it was earlier than that. Maybe but. it's earlier. Maybe all of them are officially in. But, AKP, we haven't chatted in a little bit. There's been a number of of news and why don't we just jump right into it let's talk a little bit old glory dc news some signings and re-signings i'm not going to go in chronological order here maybe we'll jump around a little popcorn style here but i think the first one the biggest one is the fact that old glory dc announced the signing of former toronto arrows prop tyler roland still a pretty young guy i think he's like 25 i think that's a pretty good pickup i know we've talked a little bit about how we need a little more depth in the prop but what do you think of that signing yeah i think it's good i think it's you know it's always good to pick up a domestic guy and a domestic option especially at those positions like prop and hooker like when you can get a guy who's domestic because they have to play you know you've got to have two of those guys on the roster at all times it's not like i mean you've got a foreign player in the the back three okay you can you could you need a few back three players on the roster, but for the most part, you can shuffle those guys in and out however you want. But for the most part, your props, like, and your good props, you got to play them if you have them. So it's it's nice to see a, a domestic option. A Canadian, of course, and, you know, <laughs> I, I feel bad for Canada losing the Toronto Arrows, so I'm, I am sort of glad we can provide a Canadian not an option here. What was interesting about the signing is that... Um... The L.A. team, which we'll talk about in a little, little bit because they've announced their branding and their name and all that stuff. They originally had selected Tyler in the New York-Toronto player dispersal draft. He was uh, selected fourth overall by them, but Old Glory D.C. ended up signing him. So there's probably some more information coming out about how that happened. But, I mean, I'm sure Old Glory would have liked to have tried to nab him, just didn't have the chance since they since old glory picked three spots behind but hey now we've got tyler it's a nice little pickup there welcome tyler to the dmv so moving on here uh 
Another player that Old Glory DC has signed, even though they originally didn't select this player in the New York-Toronto player dispersal draft, but former New York Ironworkers wing Ishmael Shabazz won. What a great, what a great name. He's another mm-hmm. winger, adding some depth there. He was drafted or selected by the Miami Sharks towards the end of the player dispersal draft. It sounds like we probably traded some salary cap considerations to get him. But um, one, tell me what you know about him. And two, like why didn't we select him in the in the draft? We did get John Powers, another wing. So I'm just, you know, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question because, you know, I I said at the time like the selections in in that draft it seemed a little odd from old glory it didn't seem to really be addressing specific areas of need i mean connor buckley we assigned when really we didn't need another scrum half i mean now we have four scrum halves on the roster which is is quite a few and john powers who was was good was is you know is a promising young option at at fullback but isn't definitely isn't like a you know huge talent we've got to have him sort of player so it sort of surprises me that they seem like the sort of players who would have been available further down the draft and I'm surprised that we selected them as high as we did and then had to sort of go back and and pick these guys up through trades I mean Ishmael Shabazz is another young player I mean I think he's only in his his mid-20s as well and he seems promising as an option i'm pretty sure he's a a domestic option for for us again and you know again we have a lot of big foreign signings in the back three so another domestic option back there is is always great and guys will get injured and you know you need you need people to cover and having you know promising young players domestic players especially is is really good to step in there so nothing against the signing absolutely does I, I question the strategy i'd love to know what was going on there but yeah i mean it, and it seems like we we've brought in and we've really upgraded at the wing in the off season a number of big international signings and i think some of the, the weaknesses we may have had last year on the wing was maybe just being a lack of size maybe you know sure um junior sal was big but he is gone but you know, Penny Lasanga, fast and quick, not the biggest wing, not the most imposing presence out there. So, you know, with Hoyland and, and Mueller and Shabazz and a couple of the other guys, I think we're bringing some 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 size and, and speed out there. So it'll be interesting to see what our kick chase and what our aerial game looks like. Um, but excited for, you know, just more depth or maybe even just more competition at that position. Yeah. Well, and it's worth noting that, um, you know, Shabazz played, I think, I think he's only played professionally in the back three, but when he as a at the amateur levels, I think he's played as a center primarily. So, you know, he does have that size, and I, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later in the podcast. But center is an area of of uh, uncertainty at the moment for Old Glory. I think we only have a couple of of true centers signed, so maybe the idea is that he can sort of serve as a wing slash center, be a uh, you know, the sort of guy you put on a bench because he can cover either of those positions and you can bring him in where you need him. But I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, it really depends on how the the staff wants to use him. Sure. 
Sure. You know, it's funny because it seems like we have <laughs> developed some type of <laughs> trade agreement back and forth with the Miami Sharks because just before just before Christmas, uh, Old Glory DC announced that they acquired the rights to Charlie Overton, a lock that Miami drafted in the collegiate draft. He was 14th overall. Uh, young product. I'm excited about um, you know what this means for Old Glory DC. It seems like you know we did lose a couple of, of locks and we do need to upgrade there. You know, with Kyle Bailey, unfortunately, going up to New England. Um, but Charlie Overton, you know, a, a pretty promising collegiate prospect uh, joining Old Glory DC. Now, it seems like we're trying to get younger at that position. But, yeah, I guess in, in, in your mind, what do you think that move means for Old Glory? It's an interesting one because, it, especially in light of how well draft products did in this sort of lock flanker position last year i mean we had or i'm you know there was sam gala who obviously went sort of had a great smashing season and then went straight into the eagles and then you know we had uh colin gross who would have done the same thing except he got injured unfortunately in the eagles training camp and you know obviously you know, Gross seems more like a flanker, but played a lot of lock in college. Um, it seems like Overton's going to be more of that traditional lock build, and so he'll probably stay in the locks. But I think it's somewhere where young players can have a fairly immediate impact. And, you know, those are positions where you can play with a lot of instinct and where just size and physicality can play a, a really big difference. So. You know, I think the opportunities available to him, and as a domestic option, like we've got, you know, r- right now on the roster, we've got Tavita Nangali and Ignacio Dotti, who are the sort of two experienced hands in that in that position group. But they're both foreign players. Um, although it has to be noted, we'll see if Nangali gets a an exemption from the league because last year we saw a couple of players who um, were sort of just less than a year away from, from being us eligible, get, get a pass. Um, I think Brad Tucker in New York and then, and then a Seattle player got uh, JP Smith both got exemptions last year. Cause they were, they were only a year away from qualifying for the Eagles and, That'll, I think that applies to Nangali this year. So we might see him, we might see him get an exemption. But as it stands, you know, you were going to need domestic options at that position. You've got Logan Widener, who is is also a very promising po- prospect. But you know, I think Overton has a chance if he can prove himself. And knowing Simon Cross's nature, if he can prove himself, especially defensively then I think he's got a real shot of getting on the field and making an impact. I agree. And I, I love how and we're going to talk a little bit uh, about how, you know, the roster's coming together. What pieces are we still missing as we're a couple of weeks away from, from training camp? But it seems like, you know, just a quick glance, there's a, there's a healthy balance of experience and then youth, uh, but also, um, flexibility around positions, right? Uh, particularly as we're, we've seen here in the back line, centers, wings, um, 
blocks flankers. You know, it, it's going to happen, right? Injuries are going to be part of of this rug this upcoming season. So to be able to have players that can can play multiple positions and well and look, man, if defense, I think is another area that we've keyed on where they need to improve. If you're a young guy that wants to get more minutes, you can just get to every breakdown, make some big, high-impact tackles, jackal a ball here or two, you're going to find yourself on the field more and more. And if that pushes the veterans to be like, i got to set my game up because these whippersnappers are taking some minutes away from me, that's all a healthy competition. That's just going to make everyone better. So, you know, I'm getting fired up already just thinking about it. But um, I wanted to move on to one more signing here that I think is noteworthy that I'm excited about as we think of the bigger picture of American rugby and the great American fly half. But Old Glory DC announced that they re-signed and bringing back Mike Ware. He was the fly half that Old Glory drafted last year out of Dartmouth. Didn't see much action, did get into that game against Houston towards the end of the last season. I like Mike. I got to chat with him a little bit after the game last year against Nola Gold. I'm excited that they're bringing him back smart kid um other than you know it's it's (laughs) everyone talks about how it's hard to develop fly halves here in the u.s and you need you know it seems like we bring in uh, these imports and we hope they get u.s eligibility but if we can continue to develop mike and he gets some minutes for the senior squad or continues to play club around here I'm, i'm excited that we brought back mike ware but um your thoughts on on Mike coming back. I mean, it like you say, I think it's great for the U.S. rugby scene. Um, he's one of the few U.S. qualified young pl- up-and-coming players in the league at that position. And Old Glory did actually give him a run out at fly half, which is, is fairly unusual. Usually those young guys at that position, they often get put at fullback or wing because basically you can do less damage there as a, a brand new player. But we, we ran him out at, at fullback, not in a game that really meant much for us, it has to be said, um, but to, to get 40 minutes actually at the, the fly half position, that's I was, I was glad to see it. And hopefully he can continue to develop because he's one of those guys that I, I like was particularly looking for in Old Glory's preseason games last year because preseason games are when these guys really get you know their first chance on a field to prove themselves and he didn't look physically ready to to play at this level yet like he looked just a little too small not quite you know it looked like he could use some beefing up in the gym and you know hopefully a year on from that a year older and you know with a full year of of protect professional attention to strength and conditioning and that sort of stuff hopefully he'll be you know more in a position to you know be physically ready to to take the field and you know hopefully he gets that opportunity of course he's going to have a lot of competition um he you know we've got the return of jason robert robertson which is is big and then you know grady coming back and so he can't even rely on being a domestic option at fly half to to sort of help him get in i think he's probably going to be a player that we put into games that that don't matter quite so much games where 
either we're pretty sure we're going to win or games where the end result doesn't really affect the the results of our season as much because at the end of the day that's the those those lower risk times that we can put them in and that's unfortunately just how development as a, a young player goes and especially development at such a as such a valuable position it's a like there's a reason that everyone cares so much about getting a domestic option at fly half and it's because it's such a influential position I mean, you look at someone like Luke Cardi, who is not bad, but he just isn't quite good enough at the position on an international level, and it 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 changes everything about how the the team plays. And so, I really hope he can get more time, but he will have to prove that he deserves it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no one who can do that except him. Name another fly half who who came out of the U.S. college system, born in the U.S who started at fly half in MLR last year. I'm sure I'm missing it, but... Uh, well, what? Uh, where's Duncan Van Schalkvijk Born from? in the U.S.? I don't know. I know he's U.S. qualified, but I don't know where any of these guys well, are. Well, I think, I think that's my point. Like Coming born. out of the U.S. college scene, born in the U.S., developed out of, you know, played grade school you know, rugby in the U.S., you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. And I, listeners out there, you know, fact check us on it, but Mike Ware may have been the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly there were not, I mean, Shane Berry didn't even get, I mean, he played, but he didn't get time at fly half. Yeah. Yeah. I, if it, if there were any others, there weren't many others, that's for sure. Yeah. So again, I think we're both excited about just uh, an opportunity for him to continue to progress and, and, and develop, and, and we'll see what happens with him, right? Because, you know, if, you know, again, thinking bigger picture, you know, 2027 World Cup, 2031 and beyond, we're going to need to step up the game at fly half. AJ McGinty is only going to be around for another couple of years. Luke Cardi's going to need some more competition, right? So, you know who's next up in that pipeline, and yeah, we'll we'll get some players who are going to qualify, um, you know, be eligible via the U.S. But I'd love to be able to say, hey, we've got a great fly half who can play, step on the field for the Eagles, who came out of, you know, U.S. grade school, high school, college program. I think there'd be a good story to tell there, but <laughs> much more to come on that. No pressure on you, Mike Ware. I'm not asking you to be that guy <laughs> right <laughs> now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, AKB, let's let's talk about this now. So we're a couple of weeks out officially, I guess, from the start of training camp. You know, even before the New York and Toronto play dispersal draft, it seemed like most of the rosters were probably about 90, 95% complete. We've picked up a few more players here. But if you look across the roster, I mean, what else do you think Old Glory needs? Do you think we'll see another siding or two? Fill us in there. Yeah, so the roster right now is at about 34 players, and that's, and the ideal MLR roster is somewhere high 30s, low 40s in terms of players, so 38 to 42-ish. Anything bigger than that is getting really quite big, and anything less than that is is problematically small. So we can expect another, you know, six players give or take a couple um looking at the actual composition of the roster you know i 
as a rough guideline, I tend to use the, I call it the air and the spare method. You've got to have 15 starters, and then for every position, you've got to have, you know, the guy who sits on the bench, and then you've got to got to have the spare guy who can come on the bench when someone gets injured. And that, you know, that gets you you pretty close to that 40 mark, 40 player mark. And looking at it from that perspective, I think we'll probably see another prop come on board because right now we only have five props. And when you think about, and props especially, you know, the more the better because you think about the fact that, you know, you need four props for every game, guaranteed. Um, So, you know, only having five, if anyone gets injured, you're playing every prop you have every game. And that that seems like a, a... recipe for disaster so i'd expect at least one more prop to resign and that could be um alex baladeras because he has we haven't heard about him yet we know he's still with the in the dc area with the the program he's been playing for young glory and and stuff like that so you know whether he's still on the senior squad or whether he's he's going to spend the entire season developing i don't know but the other areas in the the back row, we could really use a, a bit more there. I mean, we've got um, JAMA coming back, but other than that, at the eight position, there's not really anyone. I mean, you've got Rod, Rob Hoadley, who could um, cover that position, and Pavaro covered the eight position quite a bit last year. But, you know, we're losing a couple of... You know, we're losing Nico Jones and... Is that official? Um, Is Nico Lange, Lange. I don't know. That's not yeah. official. Sorry. Yeah, okay. They have not been confirmed to be returning. Yeah. And they're players who I think we would probably know by now. Um, so, it, you know, it either, either I'd like to have them back or we need to find someone to replace them. Mm-hmm. And if, if their replacements are going to be like Rob Hoadley and Bavaro, then we're going to need a couple more flankers. So... A couple more back rowers would be good. And then the other position that really needs something is the centers. Um, we only have a couple of centers confirmed re-sign, or to be signed. And we've got... There's Fermin Martinez, who we haven't heard anything about. But he would be good because he'd be a domestic option in the centers. But, you know, I, you know, I, I like to... I think you need at least four centers on the team and we've only got two. So ideally five centers would be good. Mm -hmm. But if you've got players who can cover that position, then, then you could get away with four. So I, I think those are the position groups that I'm, I'm looking at. I think you're going to see another probably five or six players signed in, in those positions before the start of the season. So you, you, I, I anticipate that's probably the case, right? Well, we'll have an inkling. Do you do you think there'll be a big name, quote unquote, big name signing coming through? Um, there is there is always a decent chance of that because because you, you get stuff like visas are are still a thing that can slow things down. You can get players who you th- who they thought were coming back who then pull out and like suddenly you need someone and you. You, suddenly you have salary cap space and you you pull someone in but or you're you know but for the most part i would expect them i mean you look at how 
loaded the roster is right now, I think we probably have most of the starters signed. Um, I don't know that the team necessarily needs any more big-name signings, so I, I wouldn't count on them being big names. Got it, yeah. And I, th- I think... Um... <laughs> You never know. As 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 we're about to get transition over here to some of the other signings or re-signings that have happened across Major League Rugby here, you just wonder what the salary cap space kind of looks like. You know, all of that seems kind of fuzzy, and you know, we have some inkling of what the salary cap is. You know, some people have shared it. Some people, you know, kind of guess at what it is, but. Um, <laughs> There's always funny math, and I just hope we don't <laughs> clubs don't find themselves getting in more trouble, considering what happened a couple years ago with the former LA team and the Austin Gilgronis team. But you know, <laughs> I guess we'll see there. So, so on that note, AKP, I just got to bring up a couple here. Yes, Chicago has resigned it and have brought on a number of players. I mean, I think in the old Eastern Conference, now everyone's lumped into one at least for the playoff stand. It's Chicago has made some some nice re-signings, of course, getting Lucas Rumble, helps there in Toronto. But the San Diego Legion, who made it to the MLR Shield last year and were, you know, this close to beating, knocking off New England, and now with the potential to host, right? Because Snapdragon Stadium, I think, is going to be the host for the MLR Shield in 2024. They could play in front of a home crowd of hopefully 10,000, maybe 15,000 or more, which would be awesome after the offseason that Major League Rugby had. But lo and behold, old friend Matt Kiddo has decided to re-up with the San Diego Legion. And former Skyland International Blair Cowan has re-upped as well. I mean, gosh, is Ma Nanu going to come back too? <laughs> you know, what are your thoughts on Kiddo coming back? Yeah, it's a bit funny because he definitely retired. Well, I mean... He re- sort of retired in L.A. and then came back in L- in L.A. that that one season, and then <clears throat> he definitely retired at when L.A. collapsed. But I guess he wants to get back in the game now. I mean, if he's still got it, which he probably does, then then more power to him, I guess. Yeah, you know, even if he sees the field, and he probably will, he still wouldn't be the oldest player. And- in MLR history, if you recall, in LA's first or second year, they had a number of injuries, and they had a fly half who I believe, I can't remember his name right now. Was it Areni Ayi? Yes, there it is. Who was 43, maybe 44? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Um, you know, it's cool to see him back, and, you know, maybe that's, you know, that's obviously still a big name around the world and uh, maybe that sign is just to get more international eyeballs on MLR again I, I don't know I mean if anything he can be more of a in the coaching role I, I don't see any issue with with him coming back and I think it's kind of a, a fun story and look he had fun when he was with the Giltinis I mean it looked like he was kind of rejuvenated it seemed like he had fun you know getting together with his old Wallabies buddies and you know throwing and kicking the ball around giant you know the la coliseum there but uh cool to see him resign and if he can play a little bit provide a spark i'm all for it so absolutely it's probably a good segue here 
AKP as we look to, to close out the episode. And you've got a big smirk on your face because I think you know where this is going. But we have finally got the name and the branding for the team in Los Angeles. So officially, they are Rugby Football Club Los Angeles or RFC Los Angeles. We'll start there with the name. AKP, your thoughts on the name and just how it all, the announcements finally came out. So I I have a big question, which is if your name was going to be as boring as RFC LA, why take this long to announce it? I mean, which frankly, I, I don't hate it necessarily. Like, mm-hmm. it's boring. It's not... It's nothing particularly exciting, but I don't think, you know, every sports team needs a super exciting name, and there aren't that many, there are enough interesting names in MLR that I don't think it's it's a problem. You know, I think it would be a problem if every MLR team was just like, you know, RFC DC, RFC LA, RFC NY, like, that would be, that would be a problem, but... You know, I don't have that big a problem with it. But how does it take you so long to announce a name that is literally just Rugby Football Club LA? Like, (laughs) how? It's funny, I hearken back to the conversation we had, and it was our last episode, and I I was convinced that they they were masterminds, uh, marketing and PR geniuses that were building up anticipation, you know, just to play off people's anxiety and just bang would come out with this amazing thing. <clears throat> I don't think that was the case there, but I'll tell you what. <clears throat> they're not the L.A. Giltinis or the Austin Gilgronis, so they're not named after the True. owner and some alcoholic drink. So plus there, right there. Okay? Absolutely. <laughs> you know. It is an LA market, so I feel like you gotta you gotta have a little Hollywood glitz and glamour. I would have liked to seen a little bit of that, but that wasn't the case here. So let's just continue on <clears throat> with this. So the branding, and and I do like how I guess it's part of their market research or whatever they try to reach back into the, the roots, pun intended here of 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 Los Angeles. And I guess <clears throat> I didn't even know this, but LA was known LA is known for acorn. Or acorn trees, which I don't I don't know if that's the first tree I think of when I think of Southern California. I think of the palm tree, but but apparently the oak tree and acorns and stuff have roots in Los Angeles, so they tried to dig into that. And I get it, the oak is a big, strong, powerful tree. So okay, the, I, I get it. I get it. The colors, I, I'm nothing against the colors. I think the colors look look fine. I think they look pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to pause there because I think you know where I'm going next on this because there was a little bit of some funniness that was going on Twitter. And I think a lot of it did get taken out of hand. I think one or two people accounts in particular overblew it. But your thoughts so far on the colors and this part of the branding and all that before we actually talk about the logo. Yeah, I mean, they look fine to me. I mean, I'm not, I have no association with Southern California whatsoever. So yeah, I couldn't tell you whether it was the right market fit for the most part. I, I think it's what's important about colors is just picking some colors and then sticking with them and 
building a consistent brand and, you know, exposing people to that brand. And that's like most of marketing. You can market even a fairly bad brand effectively. And so I I think these things don't matter quite as much as people think they do. And what LA has is, is fine from a sort of colors and branding perspective. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give the owners the benefit of the doubt because uh, I think we've talked about this before and it was well known that, you know, owners of the Tel Aviv Heat, right, a, a successful club in, in rugby Europe and the, the Super Cup or Rugby Cup over there, I, I probably have that mixed up, but they're seasoned operators, right? They've demonstrated that they can put together a roster, that they can run a club and that they can have success on the field, right? So I'm I'm optimistic about how they can that can translate to LA. They can build a brand out of the, you know, the Phoenix that died, the LA Giltinis, right? So I think there's a strong ownership group there, right? They made the capital call. Yeah, there was maybe some snafus on branding, you know, logo and all that stuff, but they seem to be seasoned operators and know how to run a rugby club. That's great news. I think that's, and right off the bat, that's gotta be good. Okay, so I'm gonna get to the stadium here. And then we'll get to the logo in a second. So they're going to play at Dignity Health Sports Park, uh, which is in Carson, California, uh, which is interestingly enough where the loss when the San Diego Chargers when they moved up to L.A. before SoFi Stadium was built, what they share with the Rams, the Rams graciously let them play there for a small fee, I'm sure. Uh, the Chargers played at what was then Home Depot. It's now Dignity Health Sports Park. It's a stadium that holds multi-use soccer football they do crossfit games in like the surrounding venue i think the stadium holds maybe 29 maybe just under thirty thousand. the chargers couldn't sell that out now i think that was a reflection on the fact that there just wasn't a fan base for la charger fans at the time and maybe that's different now being in sofi but it's a great stadium that's where they're going to have i think most of their home games what's interesting about week one in MLR in 2024 is that the same weekend of the start of the opening season is also LA sevens and LA sevens is taking place at dignity health sports park, which is where LA is hosting. Uh, I forget who they're hosting. I think they're hosting Utah. As a matter of fact, it sounds like it's going to work out where they can finish. So that the LA plays on Sunday, I believe where they can have all of the LA seven matches take place. And then later that day, evening time, Pacific standard time, LA will host their, their first game of the 2024 season. That's pretty cool. Particularly if that LA sevens crowd can stick around and hang around and be like, Hey, let's watch. We just watched two days of sevens action. Let's sit back. What's another two hours of some awesome MLR. And I hope that there's a good crowd there, 10 to 15,000. Wouldn't that be something else if LA in their very first game in the market were able to set a new MLR record because they've got the LA 7s crowd behind it? So I don't know. Your thoughts on if you think all that can come together or if that's just wishful thinking? No, I I don't think that's wishful thinking. I mean, I think it's a very smart way to organize rugby. Hopefully those 7s fans aren't tired after a, a long day of rugby, but you know, I I always think it's it's nice. It's a different flavor. It's like okay, you get a lot of fast paced sevens. Now you get to enjoy a sort of main course of of fifteens. Yep. 
sounds great to me. So there's two things. One, uh, this year, which is great, is that it's men's and women's combined, right? The last few years, the LA7 stop was just men, so it's a men's and women's combined, so hopefully we, we bring in more fans, right? Which I think is, is a good thing. But last year, the LA7s, um, I think it was hosted right around the same time, end of February, maybe I could be wrong here, but <laughs> it, it snowed in Southern California. It like flurried or something. It was cold enough where there was a little bit of snow that fell during the LA7s. Let's hope that doesn't happen this time and it's you know your typical southern california mid 60s low 60s for a kickoff but just saying that was funny how that happened last year don't anticipate that happening this year okay we've got to talk about the logo when you saw the logo for rfc la what was the first thing that you thought of so the first thing that came to my mind is just how similar to the atlanta logo it is in a weird way they've really emphasized the a and you don't really notice the l until until a little later okay okay um and the reason why i asked that is because um unfortunately i think a few people uh some accounts immediately panned it like across the board panned it I think it may have been a little juvenile, but you know it's it's supposed to be the shape of an an acorn, and you you do as you mentioned the L and the A maybe get lost in there a little bit, but you know it's it's a crest, it's the outline of an acorn. Now, this is a kid friendly show for the most part. There was some imagery that people suggested that it looked like the 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 <laughs> the top of an organ that could extend from a human being that's ridiculous and you know what i'm saying did you see that do you see that i don't know i mean yeah it wasn't the first thing that that (laughs) popped into my head but you know when they mention it it's it's yeah it could be interpreted that way and it's one of those that just seems like i'm surprised no one mentioned that during any of the the design meetings like that's the sort of thing that as a when you're designing something you just got to keep in mind is how will people misinterpret this you know yeah and and again i'm looking at this and i'm looking at all the other logos here and and maybe and and i hope maybe we're not too far along down the line where la can say you know what we're we're just going to tweak it a little bit. If you look at the NOLA Gold logo and you look at the San Diego Legion logo, they've, they've got that crest, right? Why not? Could you simply just, instead of making it curved at the top, you make it just kind of whoop, flat across, right? So the top kind of looks more like the Legion or, or Old Glory or NOLA Gold, right? Where instead of the... <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of shield shape. It's a sh- more of a shield shape. Yeah, and boom, that's solved. Then it doesn't look anything like what people think it looks like, and it's more of a shield. And boom, we're done. We're moved past it. What's what's a little what's a little tweak? What's a tweak? Just tweak it. Is it that yep. big of a deal? Just tweak it. it. The problem with that is that the time for that was was that in that huge amount of time that they had to to figure out their logo before they had announced it. Now that they've announced it, <laughs> I mean, they can rebrand, but you really, like, it's too soon, too close to the start of the season and too soon after the initial uh, release of the logo for it to be 
rebranded. It, it, it is. It's a little too, I guess, we're too far down the line now because, unfortunately, what has happened now on social and a few accounts have, you know, they've, they've taken the, the nickname of the logo and whatever it's associated with. And I guess some folks in Los Angeles have a reputation for being um, <laughs> whatever you call a what certain lo- kind of person. Yes. So now that is all you hear about, or not all you hear about, but certain accounts that that's what they're calling the LA team. And look, I'm all for good banter, but LA is just trying to get out, right? They're just trying to get out of the gate <laughs> here. And <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. maybe we should give them a pass on this one for now, you're saying. Yeah, can we, yes, exactly. I'm all for good banter. I'm all for it. I'm not trying to be like, oh, plural, you know, clutching my pearls here. But one account in particular I will not name uh, probably led the charge on the obnoxiousness of the response. And just a simple, just change it to a shield just at the top. And I know that doesn't mean it looks like an acorn anymore, but I don't know if I got necessarily the acorn imagery that, you know. Yeah, there's so many ways to put acorns into a design as well yeah could be a tree could you just you know the oak tree i don't know anyway so um look <laughs> we've got the name we've got the branding you know yes. we, we know Thank who the coaching staff is we know some of the players yeah in fact i know and we know all the players they released it all at once which i thought was was pretty cool i think it's a it's a competitive roster um it looks like a you know competitive we'll, we'll see how it We'll see how it goes, but uh, here we are, AKP. It's now 2024. We finally know the 11th team. There potentially is a 12th team coming next year with Mexico City. Heck, New York may be coming online. You know, the Seattle owners seem to reassure Matt McCarthy on a recent episode of Rugby Wrap-Up that don't worry, Matt, the New York team is coming back. So, you know, hopefully we can... Which was true of LA, as it turned out. We heard those same conversations, and here here LA is just a year later uh, well I'm, I'm excited AKP that we are back officially for year two of the glorious rugby podcast uh, building off of uh, a strong year on the field Oh glory DC made the playoffs for the first time and then knocked off the team that is no longer around in New York by moving to the Maryland soccerplex new head coach so I think upgrades across the rosters, not only just from starters, but depth, right? Where I think in the last 20 minutes, I think instead of just hanging on and trying to win, we can actually, you know, put our foot to the throat, if you will, on some of these clubs. Uh, that, again, maybe I'm just, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid here, but I'm excited for what this season will be for O'Glory. And, of course, we've got a lot to talk about. But, you know, it's 2024 and I'm springing this on you in the closing segment. Give me a, a New Year's resolution for Old Glory DC. I think a good New Year's resolution. Huh. You know what? I don't think it has anything to do with performance on the field. I think it's I think it's about making uh, the new stadium, you know, Maryland Soccerplex, making that just a really cracking atmosphere. I think they've really got the opportunity to make it something really cool and really great. And not just in the stadium, but, you know, tailgating and that sort of stuff. That's that's what I want to see. If if 
I want Old Glory games to be one of the most fun things you can do in the, the DMV area yep. next year. That's great. And I've got two answers, and I can't believe it took me this long in the episode to bring this up. Uh, chalk it up to the fog of being off for the last couple of weeks. But Old Glory DC, the owners, put out a statement talking about the upcoming season, <clears throat> talking about the success they're having off the field with commercial partnerships, you know, new investors coming on, all that stuff. But I think what interested most everyone, particularly DC fans, was the line in there about how Old Glory DC is in conversations to have a new stadium where Old Glory DC will play in the district. That. So, yes. The Beltway. The Beltway. They were particular with their language within the Beltway. Within the Beltway. So, yes, makes up Maryland Soccer Plex the, the best it can be between now and whenever the stadium gets built in the beltway but to me that's exciting stuff i'm i'm excited about that so inside the beltway could be could be dc it could be maryland it could be virginia but inside the beltway i think is key and i don't know if you wanted to extrapolate further if you had any thoughts on that before i talk about my new year's resolution for old glory yeah i'll i'll say that uh you know these these conversations have been going on for a long time and they're fairly fairly far along like these aren't it's not like they've started discussions for that they've they've been going on for a long time and um there is a chance that it'll be in dc there's a it'll depend on what the federal government is is willing to allow in certain locations but um you know it could also i think there's a reasonable chance it ends up in you know just outside the district in probably maryland there's not a lot of space in virginia but virginia is an option as well the one thing that gets me thinking it could be virginia is because the current owners of the washington wizards and the washington capitals and the washington mystics it's not official yet that they're going to be moving to virginia because they still want to get 500 to 600 million dollars from the dc government to do renovations to capital one right arena right there in the district but Ted Leonsis and management of um, Monumental Sports Entertainment held a press conference a couple of weeks ago about a site just on the Potomac, on the Virginia side, not National Landing, right? I think is what it's called, right? Yeah. Or Potomac Landing, right over by uh, DCA or Reagan Airport. There's a, there's a strip of land there where he wants to build a new stadium and make it an entertainment district and build a couple other things. Could there be an opportunity or space to build maybe an outdoor 20,000-seat stadium for rugby, soccer, high school football, any other out, you know, concerts, 20,000 to 25,000? That, I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know too much about what that proposal looks like or if there are thoughts for that, but maybe that's what he's talking about what you know old glory's talked about maybe that's maybe that's a spot but you know so yeah we'll see and the thing is i think the owners having are talking to all these people about all of these things and yeah. you know we'll see where they end up and that's going to depend you know these these plans frequently change and there's people who you know things can seem like they're moving forward and then suddenly yeah. someone objects or someone changes their mind and so you know, the reason you haven't heard a lot of details about these things is that, like, 
you know, no one wants to get their hopes up and then have them dashed. And so there's yeah. there's nothing is is fixed. But it's yeah. it's nice to have it out in the public that they're working on it. One more point on this one. I think the uh, the one spot in D.C. where you can rebuild the stadium, it's got to be the grounds of where RFK Stadium currently is. Yeah. Massive parking lots. There was already a stadium there. The RFK fields right around there where a lot of youth sports have games and practices and some men's club teams play. Like, that is cool. That is probably your best, biggest footprint for a football stadium of some kind. It's going to depend on what the commanders do, whether or not they go out to Virginia, whether they stay in D.C., but that's probably your last real big chunk, at least for now, where you can kind of rebuild the stadium and, and figure out what that looks like. And So we'll see. But my my New Year's resolution for Old Glory, D.C. is that we continue to develop a little bit of an edge and we start, and I don't mean to be nasty about this, but rugby is a tough sport played by tough people. We start kicking teams in the mouth, meaning we start hitting. We have an edge. We're, we're, we've moved from being a someone that teams can just count on beating to now we've moved to a, a, a squad that has qualified, for has made the playoffs, has won a playoff game, and we move to that contender status, right? And we do that by developing a hard edge, and we kick teams in the mouth proverbially literally physically whatever that is but we start being a hard-nosed team and we start saying hey we were real contenders here and we're going to start beating up we're not going to just hang on and try and nip it win at the end but we kick teams in the mouth from the kickoff to the end of the match that's my new year's resolution for old glory dc i like it (laughs) and then we'll get sponsored by you know like a local dentist thing and we'll make sure everyone's smile looks nice and healthy because we're, we're good sports about it but on the field when the game's on we're kicking teams in the mouth so of course not getting a penalty because you can't literally kick your opponent in the mouth you would probably get a red card but akp we're in rare form already in 2024 yeah we were talking about this being a quick episode <laughs> yeah i know i, I get the, the stink guy from my significant other but for my co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, this was our first episode of 2024, year two of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm excited for what's in store, player interview, coach interviews. We'll talk with some other folks, but we'll be back each and every week, I think. I hope. We'll see. Headsets on, microphones recording properly, all that good stuff. But for AKP, I'm John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. Catch you next week.